and welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about the literal end times so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read The Vanishings by Jerry B. Jenkins and Tim LaHaye. Joining us to discuss the first book in the Left Behind, colon, The Kids series are Grace, a captain enthusiast who doesn't want to be saved if it means she can't drink champagne. Hi, Grace. Hello. And Ashley, an apostate enjoying all the cool sins. Hi, hey. Ashley. Tell us, about the, tell us about the cool sins. What are the top five coolest sins? <laughs> top five coolest sins, um, definitely getting your ears pierced, which technically you could do even if you're not an apostate, but Leviticus says you can't. Um, being cool with like people who like aren't Christian. Um, hmm. you know, I don't know about that one. <laughs> Um, I, you know, there's some others, but, uh, you know, you sorry, just gotta... I, d- I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just That's got okay. was curious. Those are, those are the top two coolest sins. Yeah, yeah, for sure, right. for sure. Great. Being a Jezebel in general, that's really what it is. <laughs> Being a Jezebel, en- enjoying champagne with grace, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah, I think stealing your parents' credit cards, you can take a first class flight to a different country, <laughs> is, like, definitely top five coolest sins. Oh, yeah, that's it's a... not... It's a baller sense. <laughs> um, so Ashley and Grace, uh, you may have, if you listen to the show regularly, you may have heard Renata and I talk in the past about how we are part of a cult club, which is not a cult, but rather a club where we uh, kind of research and talk about cults. Uh, and Ashley and Grace are the other two members of that club. So when we were talking about, I think in Cult Club, something having to do with this book series. And we were like, well, will you guys come read one of them with us? <laughs> uh, and they said yes. And then we made them read this book. And now they probably regret that. But here they are. You know, what? based on the extensive research I have seen that they have done, I don't think they regret it. <laughs> and uh, here's what I think we might have regretted is uh, if you like were alive in the 90s in America, you probably at least are familiar with the Left Behind book series. And so the, there's a main Left Behind series, which is about adults who are left behind after the rapture. But then this is the spin-off series, Left Behind, The Kids. And those books are way shorter. So that's why we read one of these. And also yeah. because, <laughs> for a lot of reasons, but a huge consideration was that it's a lot shorter. Yeah, yeah that was that was a key consideration, um, definitely, in making this choice. I am pleased to report that Left Behind, The Vanishings, is so far the only book I have read in the year of our Lord, 2021. <laughs> so I'm glad I picked a short one, honestly. Off to a good start. I confess I did listen to the audiobook for the abridged adult version. Um, so I, I have... I have listened to a little bit about what the main thing is, but my God, am I glad that I listened to the abridged one because (laughs) like they made it deep, really, really concise. And so like, what did they cut out? What was left on the cutting room floor? I don't know. I I think also before we get too deep into this, um, you know, these are kind of evangelical Christian books, and if you've listened to the podcast, I feel like it probably has come up that I wasn't raised Christian or in any church, and I, I don't want to make light of, you know, seriously considered religious beliefs, except for if your beliefs involve, like, 
some other people's whole existence being a sin, and then that sucks. But do you know what I mean? Like, I've, I want to say that I hope this doesn't come across like we are going to just spend the whole time, like, dunking on Jesus Christ. Because, <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot of Christians who are doing, like, cool stuff. and But this book is um, not cool. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Tim LaHaye encouraged Jerry Falwell to start The Moral Majority, so I'm, like, ah! not his biggest fan. Ah! <laughs> yeah. So, so I feel like anything that we say about this book and the kind of Christianity within it, at least on my part, also reflects back on what I know to be some of the intentions of the authors, having now done more research. So I, mm-hmm. I tend to be a very flippant personality, but I agree with, <laughs> with Renata that, like, if... I don't mean to be flippant about like people's beliefs. It's just I happen to have div divin doved. I <laughs> gone a little further <laughs> into the Tim Tim LaHaye um, his, historical record and was not delighted by some of the things I found. Yeah, I have to imagine that anyone who's like real deep into this kind of Christianity where there are good ones and there are bad ones probably is not listening to this podcast that is hosted by a homosexual. (laughs) But, you know. Well, and I mean, and the thing, too, is I know, you know, Kate, you and I both know a lot of people who, like, maybe were raised in that tradition and left it or or a tradition similar to this one. I I just don't want to be out here starting with a bad energy where it seems like I'm painting all christians with the same weirdo brush but these people specifically jerry b jenkins and tim lahaye they are weirdos they are indeed (laughs) weird and bad writers which like so frequently in this podcast what it comes down to is we are reading this thing that is bad but really the worst thing about it is how poorly written it is Mm-hmm. So here's a fun thing that I discovered. I thought these were terribly written. And then I listened to the 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 adult one and realized, actually, this isn't bad. These authors don't know how to write for children is like my big takeaway from, from looking at them both. Like the adult one, especially in its abbreviated form, is like basically an airport thriller. Mm. Like, but it, they had really no, like... I don't know, right? Writing a children's book, basically. Yeah. Uh, it it has also, very, like, greetings fellow kids energy. Yes. Big time. A- absolutely. But but yeah. also, greetings fellow kids, but also, it's like, <laughs> they were trying so hard to write for kids that they also forgot what adults are like. Like, yes. no one, even the adult characters in this don't talk like human beings mm-hmm. that I know talk. Yeah. Um, also, I do want to say, we're talking about these both as as the writers of this, and... <laughs> I'm not sure which which of um, you unearthed this article and brought it to our attention, but Jerry B. Jenkins, quote, writes every word of the books, but Tim LaHaye, a lifelong student of prophecy and end times events, receives credit as co-author because he checks Jenkins' writing for prophetic accuracy. Uh, yes, that was me. That is from a, an excellent article from The Atlantic from the year 2000. Um, Jerry Jenkins is the writer half. He was a reporter. He wrote the entire series just at, kind of at the religious direction of Tim LaHaye. Um, he also wrote a series. He was a sports journalist. He wrote a series of like, as told to Jerry B. Jenkins, like um, histories of um, like 
sports. Actually, I pulled dudes. up the article, and we'll link to this article in the show notes. He he wrote um, over 120 ghostwritten autobiographies of quote. Nolan Ryan, Hank Aaron, Oral Hershiser, Mike Singletary, and Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah, and having read, um, ha- having experienced firsthand Mr. Jenkinson's uh, mm, representation of black people, I feel very concerned about him writing biographies of um, black athletes. I have, yeah. just some, I have some concern, which Oof. we can get into when we get to yeah. last chapter. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, so that said, I guess that's kind of our prelude of um, we don't hate all Christians, but maybe these two guys, and uh, and that's who we are, and maybe we can jump into the specifics of this book, which is the first one in a series of uh, 40, 40 of these little books. <laughs> There were yeah. supposed to be 48, and I don't know what happened to the final eight. <laughs> they got raptured, Grace. <laughs> when you go up to heaven, sorry. there's just left behind the kids 41 through 48 waiting for you. <laughs> but these other ones are down here on Earth. <laughs> I'm so sorry, that was a foolish question. Let's, let's pretend I did <laughs> um, so, uh, as as you, if you are somehow unaware of this whole phenomenon, um, the general premise of these books, which will become clear very quickly, is following the paths of people who were not good enough Christians to be raptured during the rapture. So we start with this kid, Judd, who is, what, like 16? He is a bad boy who is really, uh, you know, fights a lot with his religious parents and religious siblings and hates going to church, even though he used to love it as a kid and carries a lot of guilt because he lied about accepting Jesus into his life as a youth uh, and actually never cared about God or Jesus and kind of like played a role and played play acted that he did for a long time and after his mother asks him to get the mail and he is real lippy with her about it he discovers that there is an envelope that isn't technically addressed to him but he can tell is meant for his father uh he is a junior and his father is a senior uh so he takes the envelope after throwing the mail at his mother and goes uh, this is how I feel like room. I can tell I'm an old. I'm sorry. Like I feel like an old now because like reading this first chapter, I was like, this is not a hero. This is a brat. Like <laughs> this is not like I know he's supposed to be like in his like bad times before he like gets saved, but like he's just a brat. Yes. He is I mean, I can't imagine even reading this as a kid and being like, What the fuck? Yeah. I know, even as a kid, I, and again, I guess I was a very rule follower child, but I think even as a kid, I'd be like, get the mail, that's no big deal. It's not like, you know, put away the dishes, like, that's a time commitment. The mail, that's easy, <laughs> God, Judd, get it together. Also, um, I can't imagine throwing something at my mother. Oh, oh God, no, no. Um, so, he gets to his room, and he opens the... Uh, letter and discovers that it is a credit card and even though it has his name on it it very clearly was meant for his father and he calls and activates it and decides that he is going to use this credit card to run away from home by doing the maximum amount of cash withdrawals from an ATM which is called an automatic teller machine literally every time we should I we should mention this was first published in 1998 so some of this is just like the late 90s of it all but some of it is also just like 
is Jerry V. Jenkins a human person in the world? Or, like, does he just sort of live so tightly? Like, maybe he just lives, like, in the basement of a mega church and never has to interact with the world at large. Okay, like, but... Question. Do, can you just... Can you go to an ATM and withdraw money from a credit card? Like, I is... think you can get a cash advance from okay. them. Okay. I, I don't. I think there's probably a, like I've never done it because I assume there's a fee associated. But I think with some of them you can do oh. that. Okay. Yeah, like I definitely know when I go in to pay my credit card, I have like the balance and then like the cash available yeah. balance, which yeah. I've never done anything with or understood or touched at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. But okay. I have noticed it. I like I'm familiar with the cash advance thing, but it's definitely one of those things with like. It just the way it's prevented. It's like, oh, you can beep, bop, boop, get some money out of an ATM. I was like, what did I have? I been using this wrong the whole time. It sounds like no, but yeah, it was. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't even necessarily know that the writers knew. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he also, in addition to saying automatic teller machine literally, literally every time, he says identification card literally every time <laughs> when he talks about Judd getting some fake IDs because everyone thinks that he looks like he could pass for 21 so that he can abscond to the airport on, you know, a day his parents have particularly pissed him off and get on the first flight to London, which he pays for with the money that he has advanced off of this credit card. Uh, and Judd ends up in a first class seat because it was the only one left. Uh-huh. And he is going to London and it's going to be great. And his parents won't be able to bother him about God and his perfect Christian twin siblings won't be able to bother him. And he's not entirely sure what he's going to do once he gets there, but damn it, he's on his way. He's just going to live out his home alone, his like reverse home alone fantasy. Yeah. It, it the whole is just a very it's just very, very much yeah very specifically he goes to O'Hare International Airport because I one thing I learned about Jerry B Jenkins and Tim LaHaye they have a boner for Chicago that I don't really understand like I like Chicago <laughs> yeah but it's like I I don't understand I, I don't understand all the Chicago ness I mean great city love it um mm-hmm. but it. They're very into being from Chicago in a way that is usually not how I, not how people from Chicago uh, present themselves to my experience. Yeah, people who are from the Midwest are supposed to be ashamed of it. Right. <laughs> Jerry. Um, so, so that's Judd, and Judd is the runaway. In the next chapter, we meet Vicky, who is the rebel, Apparently, nothing she does really seems all that rebellious, but we'll get to that. Um, Vicky uh, lives in a trailer park, and there are a lot of really great stereotypes about people who live in trailers and trailer parks baked real deep into this. Surprisingly, I'm sure. I'm sure you're shocked to hear that this book is incredibly classist. But it is, shockingly. Um, And the trailer park is the last stop on the bus. And that means that Vicky and the other trailer park kids are the last people to get on the bus. And it's really hard to get a seat. And sometimes you even have to sit next to black people. Uh, Which is another 
undercurrent of this book. Surprise, they're very racist. Yeah, and they're racist in a way where I think if you ask Jerry, he'd be like, no, I'm not racist. My intention is, like, to show that racism is bad. But he's doing it in the clunkiest old white man way. Where, okay, so, like, Vicky, quote, doesn't know why black people are supposed to be inferior other than they were a different color. But then, like, that's a quote. But then she immediately, like, goes on to think about black people as being, like, you know, she doesn't want to sit next to them and blah, blah, blah. It's fine. It's not fine. It's bad. It's very bad. Um, But she does. She does end up sitting next to a black girl on the bus and forming a little friendship with her. Um, And meanwhile, regularly at the trailer park, there are community dances, which are apparently full of sin and terrible and it is where all the adults go to get wasted and behave terribly and while that's happening it means the kids can kind of run free and not that long ago i think at one of these community dances one of the newfangled religious neighbors got up and asked for the microphone and i guess talked about jesus for a while doesn't go real into depth about it but literally almost everyone there immediately starts crying and praying and converts to christianity on the spot Mm -hmm. Like, clearly a preacher wrote this. Like, <laughs> and it's very much like we, we're told how compelling it is. We're not really shown, like, what the preacher does. It's the preacher equivalent of, like, and then I told off the transphobic lady on the bus and then everyone clapped. But this is, like, the opposite of that. Where yeah, everyone yeah. clapped and then accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts. Right. Um. And that includes Vicky's parents. Her mom had sort of been a lapsed Christian to begin with, but her father was uh, uh, very mean and abusive. Um, he did drank a lot of drank a lot and did drugs and lost jobs all the time because he was always drunk and is horrible. And but he is sobbing on his knees begging for forgiveness from Jesus after hearing this man speak for two minutes. Uh, Vicky doesn't really get it. And when the whole rest of her family says like, oh no, we've accepted Jesus into our hearts now and you need to too. She is very skeptical of the whole thing. Um, She spends a lot of time with her uh, friends in the woods when she's not supposed to be. And... Uh, her parents cry and sob and beg for her to come to church with them so she can be saved too, but she is having nothing of it. Uh, and one night in particular, she sneaks out of the house to like smoke cigarettes and get high with her friends and sneaks back after her curfew uh, and thinks it's it's a little weird that she can like sneak in without uh, like getting her parents' notice. And also that, like, her sister, who she shares a room with, is being very quiet in her bed, but does not think anything of it and falls asleep uh, to the, like, very strange silence of her house. Yeah, she's kind of think- like, oh, it's my lucky night. I think you skipped ahead to the next Vicky chapter, but, like, Vicky doesn't actually do very much, so it seems like it really could have just been one chapter. Because I think, and this chapter is where he, her father says like takes her by the shoulders and is like, I'm not going to hit you, Vicky. Let me hug you. And I'm like, mm, there's a lot to unpack in that line oh, uh, yes. about how uh, uh, terrible he has been because obviously 
I, that's just how people who live in trailers are, I assume, according to this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the like sneaking out and coming back into the quiet house is um, her next chapter. Well, regardless, that happened. That, that's a big yeah. deal. Yeah. And then yeah. we're moving on to Lionel, which is oh. maybe our most... Not not that Lionel the person is a problematic, but the chapter is perhaps the most problematic because Lionel is black and his family is black. And as we've mentioned already in Vicky's chapter, Jerry Jenkins has revealed that maybe he's not someone who we should trust to write about race. And, uh, and we shouldn't. And it's really uncomfortable. But in a way where it feels like it feels like Jerry has maybe overheard a conversation or like watched like <laughs> half of an episode of Oprah that was dealing with racism. And he was like, Oh yeah, that sounds bad. And so his character of Lionel is like a middle class, like upper middle class, wealthy black boy with like, you know, professional parents. But um, then he gets teased by other black people for like acting like he's white and, I just feel like this is not Jerry Jenkins lane and he should get out of it. <laughs> yes, yeah. There is a lot of like, well, now that like his mother, there's a lot of hay made about the fact that his mother is a black woman, but she's like really high up in this news magazine, um, you know, to show just how progressive Jerry Jenkins is. Uh, but also there is a lot of like, Lionel was so happy that he didn't have to live in his terrible ghetto neighborhood anymore and could move to a nice neighborhood, you know, with his parents. And it, it's just very, yeah, it's but very then, bad. It's bad. But then oh, they go bad. back to the, they go back to their poor neighborhood to go to church because like the, the wealthy white church doesn't let them feel the spirit or whatever. Um, and if you are wondering if Lionel does have an uncle who is a drug addict, yes, of course. <laughs> the answer is yes. Of course that obviously. he does. This is Uncle Andre, who, um, it, he, well, like I said, he's an addict and he struggles with addiction. And um, whenever he is back and using drugs again, and whenever he gets to a point where he needs help, then he pretends to be Christian so that the Christians will help him get back on his feet. And this is portrayed as, like, a very, um, you know, this is his plan, you know, that he is scheming to pretend to be Christian in order to, like, get this from these people. And if you're wondering if, if you're wondering if Uncle Andre gets raptured, spoiler alert, he does not. (laughs) Um, And Lionel is shown, Lionel is, if, if Judd is the runaway and Vicky is the rebel, Lionel is the liar, because when Uncle Andre admits this to him, he admits that he also does not fully believe in God, even though he is a very you know, good Christian boy who like goes to church all the time and loves being at church and loves like his church friends and loves participating in the church. But despite all of that, he doesn't actually believe in God and he hasn't actually accepted Jesus into his heart. So he also is a liar like Uncle Andre and they have that in common. Uh, But Uncle Andre is, he is not incarcerated at the moment. He is theoretically not on drugs at the moment. Uh, and he has uh, come to visit uh, Lionel's parents and, you know, they stay, they're up late telling stories and then his mom needs to go to the office early in the morning. So she goes to bed and then his dad's really tired. So he goes to bed and then Lionel and Andre stay up later telling stories for a while longer and then go to sleep alone in the basement 
And then what's the last kid's name? Uh, Ryan. Ryan. The skeptic. Yes, Ryan. Ryan. I think is only his only point of existence, I think, is to give us a viewpoint into the Rayford family. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan is friends with this kid named Ramy, and Ramy's father is a pilot who, spoiler, is flying Judd's flight to London. But we get, because the kids are always at each other's houses, Ryan knows a lot about the ins and outs of um, Ramy's household. And Ramy's dad is one of the main characters of the big boy books. <laughs> yes, and I think in addition to getting the the view into the into um, Ramy's house, I think also like they're showing different types of bad not Christians, like the people who go to church every week but don't really believe, and the people who used to believe but have spurned it because it's not cool, and the people who rebel against their family because they, oh my god, sorry, I just made the connection that that's what their titles also mean. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very smart. I'm very smart, guys. Anyway, yes, they, and then they uh, gave Ryan's us all the clues. And he was, <laughs> Ryan's an atheist and he was raised an atheist. Um. <laughs> yes, but so, his yes. mom. Is, but his mom is like, oh, but be polite if Ramy's family takes you to church. Like it's not that big a deal. Just be polite about it. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, was like my childhood experience growing <laughs> up. Sometimes I would go to a sleepover and go to church and be like, what? Yeah. Like, you guys are doing what? Every week? Okay. But, like, I'll be polite. <laughs> but so Ryan and Ramy are best friends growing up. And, like, uh, Ramy's mom, like, makes them say grace before dinner sometimes. And, like, it's weird, but whatever. And then one day, um, Ramy refuses to come over Ryan's house before his mom comes home. Something they do all the time, even though it's technically against the rules. And when Ryan pushes, Ramy's like, well, you know, it's, it's bad. Like it's breaking the rules. And like, ever since I started going to this new church, I know that breaking the rules is bad and you should come to this new church. It's really great. And, you know, I used to think church was bad and Jesus was boring too. But then I went to this new church and learned that Jesus is awesome. And, you know, you should too. And Ryan's like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's talk about literally anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and he is pleased to see that Ramy's father, the cool pilot, uh, does not believe this. Uh, Ramy's mom and Ramy are gung-ho for Jesus and Ramy's dad is like I'm glad you have that in your lives I don't need it in mine Ryan's kind of like dismissive of uh, what's his face uh, Ramy's Christianity he just like wants to play and have fun um, this is also the most boringly Chicago uh, chapter of them all uh, there's this whole thing about how Ryan is named after like a bunch of famous Chicago mayor- mayors or people. Oh, yeah. Yes. Like his last name is Daly and his middle name is Cermak, which I guess was like an assassinated Chicago mayor. Anyway, I just remember being like, this is tedious. Why are we doing this? Since it's tedious, we can move on. Well, and, and one other thing I'll say about these kids is. And all of the kids, but specifically with Ryan and Raimi, like, all these kids are kind of, like, tweens, but Jerry B. Jenkins doesn't, uh, as we've stated many times, doesn't know how kids or humans act, and so the range of behaviors of these kids is, like, you know, Vicky's sneaking out and getting high, and Ryan and Raimi are literally, like, playing with a cool toy airplane. Yeah. (laughs) It's, It's very, it's very strange. It's very... Which, like, Everything you know, tween, about it. tween boys could be into that 
you know, like, they still play and, like, do goofy stuff, but it, I feel like the age they're supposed to be, if they were, they would at least be like, oh, I know I'm a little old for this, but, like, I don't, they're just unselfconscious, like, yeah, this plane, this toy plane rules. I'm like, you guys are, like, 13. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very, yes. Um, so, now, uh, we are back on the plane with Judd, who kind of, like, notes all of the people who are on the plane around him, including a guy who is uh, writing an article for the paper that we now know uh, Lionel's mom is the editor of. Well, I think it's a TV uh, show. I think they keep calling it a news magazine, but they mean, like, a 60 Minutes, like, type show. Oh. oh. I thought it was... I thought it was a news th- a paper thing. Hmm. Okay, well, maybe I'll fact-check yeah. that. But I thought she was, like, an on-camera personality. Keep talking. This A doesn't regardless. matter. And, regardless. Um, so there's there's a reporter from um, uh, Lionel's mom's work working on a story there. There's an old couple who are sitting kind of behind where Judd is. There is a, you know, of course, because of course, in addition to the racism and the classism and everything else, there is a fat man that Judd is disgusted by who is sitting next to him, who is also religious, which Judd also doesn't like, of course. Uh, There's a hot stewardess who he's too shy to say anything to, but who uh, brings him a glass of champagne that he pretends to drink so he looks cool. But he Uh, can't drink. It's so disgusting to him that he can't drink it, which is how we know he's really good at heart. (laughs) (laughs) That if he were lost, if he were truly a lost person, then he would just be downing that champagne. (laughs) Um, I'm on the Left Behind wiki that has, like, terrifying fan (laughs) art of the characters. (laughs) Um, oh, you no. guys are right. Global Weekly's a magazine. It's not a TV show. That's all. Could I oh, say one in, thing about the- oh, here though, in the movie, oh, in the movie, it became a news television show called Global News Network. Spoiler: I have seen this movie. We'll get into it. But um, in the book, it's a magazine. That's all. So the old couple. So there are so many. This is so. This is where the book, I think, specifically starts to overlap with the big kids or the, the grown-up story. So a lot of these characters if not all of them are mentioned and I read the first chapter. Um, but the old couple, one of whom is named Harold, all I could think of was Harold, they're lesbians. And, oh, I, I thought you were going to say Harold and Maude, which is where I was going, but also, yes. Yeah. I, I just feel like that could be the Harold, they're lesbians couple. Um, and, <laughs> and then the other person, Hattie, the really hot stewardess, first of all, Judd, it's really awkward how hot, Judd thinks the stewardess is and how often Jerry B. Jenkins feels the need to discuss how hot Judd thinks the stewardess is. Um, but then it turns out Hattie is one of the main characters in the grown-up books and actually becomes the girlfriend of the Antichrist. Spoilers. Um, when so you just... when you put that in the Google Doc, Grace, <laughs> my head exploded. <laughs> For a whole abortion-oriented storyline, I... I just I I want to I just want to compliment Terry and or Jerry and Tim on the artful way they just dropped in all of these seemingly minor clues about much more important people. It really is just so skillful and subtle. Um, <laughs> just how 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 casually they just talked about how hot Hattie was in a way that was I don't know didn't all at all lead you to wonder if there was something more to her. <laughs> 
Um, so Judd wakes up after falling asleep on the flight and uh, discovers that the gentleman next to him uh, is not there any longer. And he assumes he got up to go to the bathroom. But then he notices that Hattie is running around and so are a whole bunch of other people and starts to realize that, like, you know, the old couple, the wife is like, where'd my husband go? His clothes are here. And everybody is like, oh, this person who was sitting next to me is missing, or like, my relative is missing, but their clothes are still here. And uh, Judd, of course, because he had been Christian, immediately understands that the rapture has happened, and that because he had strayed from God, he was not raptured himself, and everyone else has gone to heaven. I guess that's where you go in the rapture, I'm assuming. Um, So the pilot, who is in fact uh, Raimi's dad, turns the plane around to head back to Chicago. And when they get there, there's chaos on the ground because, of course, as uh, as is like very awkwardly info dump explained by like the guy who's driving Judd back to his house afterwards, like, oh, well, of course, some people, you know, were raptured from behind the wheel and some people were raptured while they were making breakfast. And of course, like, so fires started and accidents happened and planes crashed. And that's why there's destruction everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot. Meanwhile, Ryan, um, or I guess we'll, we'll go in order. Uh, Vicky wakes up and realizes that, uh, her sister and her parents are missing. Uh, and so are a lot of folks in the community and um, she notices one of the other people, one of the girls who she knows uh, is walking outside in like a daze and says that it has something to do with Jesus. And uh, she's like, okay, well, I do know someone who, who's good at religion. It's this black girl I sit next to on the bus. And she is, of course, uh, Lionel's sister. And for some reason, instead of just writing, like, I don't know why... They, he had to jump through all of these hoops to have her talk to Lionel instead of just having a number for this girl. She doesn't have a number for this girl, but she does know her last name. So she starts calling people in the phone book. And when that that doesn't work, she remembers that her mom works on this impressive news magazine. So she calls the news magazine and asks for her number. And the woman who answers the phone won't give it to her, but like does take her number and a message to pass on. Is very I think I think some of it's just like the nineteen ninety eight of it all and him being like there's no way. (laughs) Um I also I wanna read this direct quote that she says. Like this is the thing that the character Vicky says in the text and she says, I usually ride the school bus with a black girl who knows all about this stuff. And that's a direct quote. And when I saw that um someone had put this note in the Google Doc, I assumed it was like a funny um you know, just kind of, kind of a, a funny recap of what she said, and then I got to that chapter, and she literally says that, and I, <laughs> wow, I mean, wow, like, imagine. We can't make this up. We're not talented enough to make this up. Only Jerry <laughs> P. Jenkins is talented enough. We don't have the up. divine inspiration. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, anyway, so the, Lionel... the black girl she rides the school bus with has been raptured, so she has to follow this like Rube Goldberg machine of telephone communication in order to get to Lionel. Yes. Um, and Lionel meanwhile wakes up and 
um, again, because he knows God and stuff, um, <laughs> manages to kind of put the pieces together as he looks around the house and sees that, like, his siblings and his parents' uh, clothes and pajamas have just dropped where he last saw them the night before. Including, uh, by the way, including his dad's hearing aids, which... He- Oh, he says gosh. his dad was so <laughs> proud of the hearing aids because they matched his skin tone and he'd had to pay more for that feature, which is such a weird... Again, this feels like something that Jerry overheard a black person talking about hearing aids and, like, made a note of that and was like, I need to work this fact in. And, like, I don't know. I know it is an issue where, for example, it's hard to find band-aids that match black skin tone, but aren't hearing aids all, like, custom-made? Is that... I didn't fact check this, but regardless of whether it's a real thing or not, it's very awkwardly dropped in here as he finds the hearing aids on the on the couch. And it's just so awkward that it's like, oh, he was dad was so proud that, you know, he had to pay like he was able to work hard and afford them. It's like, oh, he mm-hmm. was super stoked to have to deal with institutional racism. Yes. Like, yeah. The way that's... it's presented, it's like, uh, I think you you're trying to make a nice point about this person, but in doing so have missed the larger point yes absolutely yeah that specifically lionel remembers his dad was proud of this rather than infuriated yeah anyway um so lionel calls his church and finds that there is one person left at the church everyone else has been raptured oh, first lionel uh, tries to wake up his drug-addled uncle who he cannot yes. wake up because don't forget that his uncle does drugs yes um so he he calls his church and this guy uh, is like the last person left at the church, and he's like, "Oh yeah, like we're everybody else was raptured here. It's just me." <laughs> Which, like, I don't. Oh, just you must feel real bad about yourself. Yeah, if you're the last. If you, if you're the one person at your church who doesn't get raptured, you obviously missed something in the preaching. And then um, Vicky manages to get through uh, because, or or he calls his mom. His mom's work calls him. And is like, is your mom coming? And he's like, no, she was raptured. And uh, she gives the the phone number of the girl, Vicky, and he does get in touch with her and invites her to come. Or she says to him, like, we're all going to this church nearby. And then there's, of course, a moment where, you know, because, again, we need to, to show racism, but in a really ham-fisted way. She's like, oh, yeah, it's this church that's, you know, blah, 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 church. And he's like, oh, the white church. And she's like, no, I think it's brick. And uh, he's like, no, the, oh. the church that white people go to. <laughs> which also, and it's again. Which also, this is like Chicago suburbs. Like, there's probably more than two churches. Yeah. It's very, everything is very weird and bad. Um, but he, so he goes over there. Uh, and then we get Ryan, who, uh, you know, wakes up to a note from his mother who says, like, this terrible thing happened. And, you know, you're, I was supposed to pick your father up from the airport, so I'm going to drive out to the airport um, to get him so that we can all be together. Uh, if, you know, you need anything, call my car phone. Uh, and, of course, he runs over to Ramey's house and finds that, like, you know, Ramey's been raptured and so is his mother. And Brian tries to call his mother's car phone and eventually someone picks up and it is a police officer who informs him that his mother died in a car accident uh, because a gas main had been punctured or something near an intersection where she was and it blew up and everyone died, including his mother. 
And then he sees on television that his father's flight crashed and his father's dead now, too. And it's just him. So he decides to go to the church where he knows uh, Ramy and his family used to go because he went with them a couple times and see if they have uh, answers about this. And in one other minor crossover with the big, with the big boy books, he is wandering around Ramy's house and sees Nicolas Cage crying <laughs> in his bedroom, but doesn't want to interrupt him. And it's like that was obviously written into the first book, and so then they couldn't they couldn't have Ryan interact with the father because that would have been that that would have ruined what they did in the first in the in the first book. So they just had him see him. So really drive home the point in case you hadn't figured it out by then. Um. So he, he goes over to the church and, of course, Judd and Lionel and Ricky have all gotten there. And one of the pastors is like, thankfully, uh, the pastor of this church have, has left behind a video for this exact. <laughs> <laughs> and if anything says cult, if there's anything in this entire book that really makes this appropriate cult club, it is the video left behind. <laughs> Do we think that Tim LaHaye has made a video for oh. his church? Oh, 100%. He's already died, though, so I feel like it would oh, have come up by now. Yeah. I went deep down the Tim LaHaye rabbit hole. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, maybe it's, like, at his church. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe Ooh. maybe it's in a time capsule or something. Like, break in case of rapture. rapture. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the pastor who didn't believe hard enough and is left behind shows them this video and then lets them know that if they, they might be scared right now, but the Bible says that if they take some time to accept Jesus into their heart, that they will be okay. And they, when Jesus comes back again to take more souls to heaven, they'll be able to go to heaven too. Oh, and, and Judd the- also showed up. I for like, he also somehow was at this church, right? Yes. Like you talked about him. Sorry. Um, so he, so all the kids, you know, listen to this, this preacher, tell them that and, and understand that like, they need to, to wise up about Jesus. And that's where the book ends. And there's also, there's a, there's a paragraph in this chapter where they explicitly spell out the connections between these kids, because you can tell that Jerry was like, well, I, I gave you all the clues, but I don't know if these readers are smart enough to connect the dots. So let me just say that, like, this kid was friends with this pilot and this and this, and he, like, spells it out, and and it's just there. And I feel like it, it wasn't that hard, but it's fine. It's very, it's and it's a thing that I think we've talked about before when we've read other books that uh, celebrities have written for a middle grade audience which is that, like, everyone thinks that writing books for kids is easy, but it's not because everyone thinks that kids are very dumb, but mm-hmm. they're not. Yeah. And that is, like, it, it is just such a a hallmark that we see in all of these books that are written by people who don't know anything about writing for children for kids where it's just like, well, kids are dumb and don't know, like, big words and don't understand plot and narrative and how events connect to each other so I'm going to spell everything out and not use big words and have very stilted sentences and just like bad writing all around. And frequently 
Uh, and the people who are writing it don't actually know any children. So also all of the <laughs> characters don't act age appropriate. And this, I believe, hit all of those marks. <laughs> I mean, I will say, I know Jerry B. does have children, but I also bet his wife took care of them like 99.9% of the time. So, And also, I feel like there's this sort of thing, like if you, you're like, hey, kids, can you read this? Like Christian kids, like too polite to say anything other than great, dad. Yeah. Proud of you. This oh seems God. very um, prophetically accurate. And <laughs> it seems like it lines up with the scripture as I know it. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's just everything about it is very bad. It's very bad. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's somehow like very short, but also very clunky. Like, yeah, there's not that many chapters, but every chapter just has this, like, huge softball-sized hail balls of, like, <laughs> irrelevant details or, like, weird connections being made. And they're just, you're just, like, being pelted with. And you're like, you did, I didn't even need to know that. Why? <laughs> Speaking of which, can we talk about the answering machine situation? Because I found that whole answering <laughs> machine situation to be very strange. And that was, like, one of those details where I'm like, why do I need to know about Lucinda Williams? Yes, Lucinda Lyle's mother's hatred of answering machines. There was like three full pages about the answering machine rules in the Washington house. And I only used it when they were out because darn it, if they were in the house, the answering machine couldn't be on because it's only supposed to be there when you're not in the house. Yeah, it was, it seemed like I, it You're lazy me. if you screen your calls. It was like literally, I think, word for word. <laughs> I was like, just, what did an answering machine ever do to you, Jerry? What did an answering machine, did an answering machine like kick your dog? Like what did an answering machine ever do to harm you? Jerry B. Duncan's went to see the musical Rent and walked out immediately. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. He would never go see Rent because it has gays in it. But if he somehow stumbled into it. Immediately, like, oh, these are these are rude boys screening their calls. Goodbye. <laughs> I have, I have a question for you guys, and as I said that, I realized that probably your experiences, because we grew up in very different places in the country, and also Grace was homeschooled. Um, maybe the, I'm not going to get the answer that I need for this. So also, I guess I'm putting it out there for listeners. Was it like a thing that all kids got a car when they turned whatever the driving age is in your high school? Um, I went to a private school, so it was the norm, I would say. I would say it was pretty much the norm where I lived. I lived in a town that didn't really have much public transportation to speak of. Same. So, I mean, I, like, I did get a car when I turned 16, but I, it wasn't a nice car. Um, but it... It was honestly like me having a car was less work for my parents in the long run because then they didn't have to drive me places because there really wasn't yeah. a bus. Yeah. And also, um, it was also the sort of thing that like, I mean, my brother was two and a half years older than me and like he got a car that had been my dad's and then, and I got, I mean, he got to drive it and then I got to drive it and then it was never like our car, right? It was always like the families so yeah. it wasn't like you know even though there were definitely kids in my school who were like gifted brand new cars um which i never understood but oh well yeah. 
there were like maybe some kids and, and I, I grew up in an upper middle class suburb of New York. Like there, and it, there wasn't, I guess technically there was public transit, but it wasn't anything that people used. Mostly people were using public transit. It was to get from the suburbs into the city, not around the suburbs. And, you know, there were some kids who got like new cars or who bought their own cars, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a rite of passage. You know, and I had a mm-hmm. similar thing to Ashley where, like, eventually uh, there was a car in my family that was passed down to me and then it was passed down to my brother and da-da-da-da. Um, but, yeah, like, there, there's a, certainly a part in here where he is very mad that he's not getting a car the way that all the other kids in school get cars. But then he does have a car, which he does drive <laughs> to the airport. That bothered me. as so, uh, That very much bothered me because there was a big point about how he didn't have a car. And I'm like, um, excuse me, Agatha Christie would not be pleased by this <laughs> web of misused clues like how did he drive a car to o'hare you may recall it was o'hare in chicago Mm -hmm. um but he wasn't allowed to have a car so like did he steal it i found that very i didn't like that yeah it bothered (laughs) me too obviously (laughs) big to do because a big to do is made about how like one of the ways that his parents are the worst is because of this whole car situation I don't know, maybe he bought, maybe he, I, I was about to say maybe he bought one with his dad's credit card, but then he, I think he talks about how, like, he has to bring the car home because, I don't know. What, was it, I guess maybe I just assumed, because he said he didn't have one, I think I assumed that he was, like, taking one of his parents' cars, but maybe they would discover too. They would discover his car at the airport. Oh. So, like, he parked it there. To, to be discovered. Yeah. But it was never... Well, maybe by know. his, they meant the car that he took. I don't know. Or maybe this book... Maybe, maybe it's just one of many things in this book that don't make sense. Um... Maybe if we'd spent less time on answering machines, we could have <laughs> more answers about the car situation. Ghost car. <laughs> um, I do think we should... There are a couple of really good lines that are not part of our um, our our readings that we're going to do um, that I feel like should be called out. Uh, I'm happy. I don't. Please, please do, Grace. <laughs> please listen to your heart. Okay. So my heart is telling me to read um, Judd's thoughts as he is, I believe, bicycling to the church. Um, his wallet is full of cash. Obviously, the buzz of champagne is long gone. Aren't I something, he asked himself. Big man, big criminal, big shot. Now I'm an orphan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But that's not how teenagers talk even to themselves. And then Lionel had a good one too. I just don't remember which chapter it's in. Um, About saving people from being late for school. (laughs) Oh, Oh. I I could be a hero. I could be the one who keeps everybody from being even more late. (laughs) Oh. Um, I also wanted to read, which is what I initially thought maybe you were going to say, is uh, Grace, I believe, based on the color in the doc, pulled out two very good Amazon reviews (laughs) (laughs) that I would like to share with the audience. This one is a five-star review that says, I hope that every person who reads this actually knows that this will happen. Maybe not exactly as the book depicts it, but close enough. If nothing else, please get yourself ready for God's Rapture, capital G, capital R. Get to know him, capital H, so it won't be too late for you, too, and you find yourself, all caps, left behind. (laughs) And don't believe me or anyone else. Really check this out for yourself. 
if you ask God to show you if it's true or not, he most certainly will. I intend to be in that disappearance. So check it out. God bless. <laughs> and then this two-star review, which as Grace notes, is probably written by a child. I love this book because it leaves you in suspense until you read the next book and figure out what to do. <laughs> I intend to be in that disappearance, so check it out. I am absolutely putting on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, I also, the fact that you put that possibly a child, I love that the child was like, I love it. But it's a two-star review. Even I think it's not that great. <laughs> that one, if I recall correctly, it was like the... I, I didn't put the names of the reviewers in the Google Doc, but it was like the parent in like parentheses, like Caleb's thoughts or something like that. So like I think it was like a person speaking as their child. I don't really... But yeah, only only two stars. But so I don't know if the two stars are from the child or if the parent... I, I could email, try to email them and ask, I guess. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just it's just a lot. Everything about it is a lot. And it's not good. And, you know, again, like, I'm not saying that that means Christian. It has nothing to do with Christianity as a whole, obviously. And Christianity itself is in so many, like, little subcategories. But just, like, the entire narrative structure of this is so bad. And it's so sloppily put together. And, yeah, like Grace says, even without really knowing the story of the books for grown-ups... In some places, it's just achingly clear that this was written around something else. Mm-hmm. That the whole, there's a fixation on the writer from whatever the news magazine is that when, when he's in um, the airplane. And he's like one of the protagonists. He's like the young, like, protagonist who's like hip and cool and really good at getting scoops on reporting. And, um, I I want to share something from a Wikipedia page about one of these like eight thousand left behind books. Um, so much so much happens in this series, and I did not read all of the Wikipedia pages. But so Buck is the this writer for the magazine that Lionel's mom works for. Um, this just as Grace mentioned, Hattie goes on to like become the lover of the Antichrist and have his child and is like going to get an abortion as one does. Um, and so like, obviously Buck and Rayford senior become Christians after the rapture. Cause they figure out all the clues and then they're like secret Christians. And they make this thing called the tribulation force to like be secret Christians in hiding. Um, so this Wikipedia page explains that in one of these books, the tribulation force finds Hattie Durham, the hot flight attendant in an abortion clinic in Denver and discovers that the antichrist Nikolai Carpathia is plotting to have both Rayford senior and Hattie murdered there pretending to be Rayford Buck rescues Hattie and unwittingly punches and kills an armed security guard intent on killing them later Buck deeply regrets the guard's death even after one of his friends explains that it was a kill or be killed situation (laughs) This journalist punches somebody to death in a abortion clinic. He's so I powerful. Feel like, I feel like you have to be. How strong is he that he just accidentally? Yeah. Well, okay. In the in the movie version, well, okay. In the Kirk Cameron movie version, this character is Kirk Cameron, and in the Nicolas Cage movie version, this character is Chad Michael Murray. <laughs> So, All you right. know, he's he's been working out. He's powerful. 
Chronicle yeah. this. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, the the whole little like just plopping him in there, it's like cuz this this journalist is not really mentioned that much in the book. He just kind of shows up and it's because he's a much more important book in the big boy books. Mm-hmm. And can can kill somebody with a punch. Oh my goodness. Should we um should we move into dramatic readings and just give you all a, a some direct unconcentrated left behind? Oh, must we? Okay. <laughs> Very concentrated. <laughs> oh my god. Just chug it. Just chug this left behind down. Um so first up is going to be Grace reading some of Lionel's introduction and um we already we already said this book is racist about Lionel, and if you are like I don't know, maybe it's not. You'll this will be this will be you will witness this. This will be our testimonial. Yes, and I will try. Uh, I will attempt to do um, a less racist reading than apparently exists in the audiobook. Because um, from what I hear, that was quite special. A little. Yeah. It's like not heavy handed, but it's just light enough of like I don't know. Ugh. Anyway, go on. (laughs) Um, So this is chapter uh, three, Lionel the Liar. Lionel Washington's parents had moved him out of the inner city of Chicago when he was six years old. His mother, Lucinda, had been a reporter for the Chicago office of Global Weekly magazine. When she was promoted to bureau chief, the family could afford to move to the suburbs. They were among the first blacks to live in their Mount Prospect neighborhood. Now, seven years later, 13-year-old Lionel was having trouble deciding where he fit. When he visited... When he visited his relatives in Chicago, or when his other relatives visited him from the South, his cousins criticized him for, quote, losing your blackness. It's like you're white now. It was nice to live in a neighborhood. Guys, it was nice to live in a neighborhood where he didn't have to be afraid to ride his bike anywhere or run run with his friends, even after dark. And Lionel enjoyed having more things than, than he was used to having when he was smaller. His cousins, probably to cover their jealousy of his nicer clothes and shoes and the fact that his parents had two cars, called him, quote, rich boy and, quote, whitey, and said he might as well not even be black. Lucinda Washington was a no-nonsense woman. She had become a well-paid executive with the leading news magazine in the country, despite her being black and a woman. She laughed when her nieces and nephews teased Lionel. He's as black as you are and always will be, she said. Now you just go on and leave him alone. Still, Lionel didn't like it. No way did he want to give up what he thought was a better and safer life than he had known. But neither did he want to be different from his relatives. There were few other black kids in his junior high, and none of them went to his church. His older sister, Clarice, went to Prospect Prospect High School, and his younger brother and sister, Ronnie and Talia, were still in elementary school. That made him feel all the more alone at his school. He grew quieter there and at home, and he could tell his mother was worried about him. Lionel didn't like the changes in his body and his mind as he became a teenager. It was too strange. He found himself thinking more. He thought about everything. Mostly, he thought about his uncle, Andre. Andre was the bad apple of the family. He was a drunk and had been known to use and abuse drugs. He'd been in and out of jail for years and once even served a short term at Stateville Penitentiary in Joliet, Illinois. I apologize if I'm butchering the name of that city. No, that's right. The thing about... Okay. Excellent. Um, The thing about Uncle Andre was that he was a charming guy. When he was sober and out of trouble and working, everybody loved him. He was fun and funny and great to be around. When he was, quote, sick, which was the family term for when he was doing drugs or drinking or running with the wrong crowd, they all worried about him and prayed for him and tried to get him to come back to the church. 
And maybe by book 40, they'll get their wish. I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's so that's those that's that's the black family the in black this book. <sighs> All right. Well, now we'll move on to the white trash family, Vicky. And I'll be Vicky and um, Ashley will be my dad and Kate will be my mom. And I'm just I'm feeling very nurtured right now. this is i can't handle this scene (laughs) vicky's mother pleaded with her to the point of tears to go to church with them once in a while vicky finally gave in and asked if they would get off her back if she went to one service a month they agreed but really she had gone only three or four times in all every time her mother or father reminded her that she was not upholding her end of the bargain the arguing began She would swear she had just been to church with them the month before. They would show her on the calendar that she had not. She would yell and scream and walk out. They would plead and cry and pray for her. When she went to church, she hated it. Sometimes her mother looked at her to see if she had listened to what the pastor had just said, and at other times her mother leaned over and whispered the pastor's last sentence. Get out of my face, Vicky hissed at her. Again, her mother fought tears. Vicky didn't understand herself. Often she asked herself why she had to be so mean, so angry. It was obvious that this, this thing, whatever it was, was working. Her dad was a new man. He never missed work, was always on time, got promoted, had more friends. He was always sober. He looked happier. The only sore point in his life, besides his smoking, was Vicky. She could see him getting more and more frustrated with her, and she had to admit her goal was to make him explode in anger. Why? So she wouldn't feel so bad about herself. She'd always hated it when he had blown up at her in the past, but this new obsession with church and God was worse. The one time she pushed her dad past his limit, rather than yell, he broke down. I think the devil's got hold of your soul, and he won't let go. What? You really believe that, don't you? You think we're living in the dark ages and maybe I'm a witch. Is that it? I didn't say that. Don't Her father you... said moaning. <laughs> the moaning is a good instruction. <laughs> don't you see how crazy you all are? Please, just leave me out of this. We don't want you to go to hell. At least I'll be with my friends, Vicky said. She had heard people say before <laughs> that they wanted to spend eternity where all their friends were. She thought it was a pretty sassy line. (laughs) Ooh, this sassy teen. God help me. Oh my god, I forgot. I was looking over when she's first introduced. It's like the ickiest male gaziest way of introducing her. It's like... I'm going to give, like, an extra little dramatic reading, sorry. Vicky Byrne was 14 and looked 18. Tall and slender, she had fiery red hair and had recently learned to dress in a way that drew attention from girls and guys. She liked leather, low-cut black boots, shorts, flashy tops, lots of jewelry, and a different hairstyle almost every day. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Teens be doing their hair. I guess I should say secular teens be doing (laughs) oh that is actually a thing in like Corinthians or something that like there's like a whole thing about how like these harlots are like with their crazy braided hair coming in and disrupting church so like there is like a, a precedent in the bible about men being upset about women's hairstyles like distracting being distracting at church so like 
you know. Men are so easily distracted. I feel bad for them, honestly. honestly. It sounds like, how do they get anything done? <clears throat> That's why uh -huh. they need the patriarchy to prop them up. <laughs> All right, this okay. last dramatic reading, it's just going to be Ashley doing a, a full performance of all of all the left behinders on the plane. Uh, trouble, ma'am, Buck said. It's my Harold, she said. Does he need something? Buck asked, stretching. He's gone. I'm sorry. He's disappeared. Well, Buck said, I'm sure he slipped off to the washroom while you were sleeping. Would you mind checking for me and take a blanket? Ma'am, I'm afraid he's gone off naked. He's a religious person, and he'd be terribly embarrassed. Judd stood still, as if glued to the floor in front of his seat. He watched Buck Williams climb over the sleeping drunk in the aisle seat and move up to take a blanket from the old woman. Buck crouched and studied the clothes Mr. Peterson had left in the seat. Does your husband have epilepsy? No. Sleepwalking? No. I'll be right back. Judd didn't want to look down into the seats in front of him, and he certainly didn't want to look to his right where the big man had just been, but he forced himself to. Over the backs of seats ahead of him, he saw blankets, pillows, and sets of clothes, glasses, jewelry, even a man's wig lay on his seat. His heart racing, Judd looked next to him. That neatly folded blanket now lay atop flat trousers that led to empty socks and shoes. On the back of the seat lay the limp, still-buttoned white shirt, the still-knotted tie, and little bits of metal. Judd's knees were weak. Other passengers woke up and discovered their seatmates missing their clothes left behind. I just don't understand how quickly everyone went from like no facts to rapture. I'm just like the lo the logical leaps of all of these children. I mean, very impressive and definitely helps move the plot along. But like, I, I, how did they, I just like, oh, I found my dad's boxers. Obviously he was raptured. Like that's just not a logical leap that I really understand. I mean, I would make it now, having seen this movie and read this book. But... I feel like, so I will say, um, it sounds like the New Hope Church where they all went to, except Lionel, like, it sounds like that pastor was super hyped about the rapture. And so maybe that's why Judd had put it together so quickly. It's just that his pastor was, like, unusually into the rapture in a way that, like, in the Episcopal Church where I grew up, we were not into <laughs> i think also probably you know the fact that it's written by these people who don't know how children's brains work at all <laughs> like 100 percent, i would think that they would be like yeah of course all kids who hear about the rapture think about it all the time that's just how it works <laughs> obviously i like how also they they make sure to specify at least during the airplane scene and i think maybe somewhere else that all babies are immediately raptured because they yes. haven't had time to be bad yet mm-hmm I also, the rapture leaving the clothes behind, I was not raised religious. I didn't realize, like, does everyone just show up at heaven in heaven naked? Like, I just logistically have some questions about the, the clothes being left behind rapture. I think, so, okay, so I also just listened to the audiobook of the Book of Revelation right before this. Um, <laughs> and um, I can't remember exactly but I do remember there was a thing in Revelation about... Um, I've already forgotten what I was saying, Grace. God damn it. 
<laughs> about well, do you get new clothes in heaven? Or no, you... oh, there's like there's a really big emphasis on everybody wearing like really beautiful white linen. So I kind of feel like I you're, think you're implication... assigned linen upon arrival. Yes, exactly. Oh, all right. And I feel like there's also all this stuff about like oh you know all the martyrs that had been beheaded like their bodies were like brought back together or something. I don't know. It's a f- it's if you want some exciting rapture spoiler ahead to the recommendations just read revelation (laughs) (laughs) so heaven is like where you respawn and you you've (laughs) got all your health points back and you've got a new outfit yeah but you certainly don't need those dental fillings which is what the 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 metal bits were Hmm. yeah yeah people keep leaving uh, leaving behind also like pieces of medical procedures and i'm like where like someone put this in the google doc like where's the line here like maybe like prosthetics get left behind but like what if you had a skin graft like does the skin like what it would i feel like there's maybe some some logistical items that tim and jerry could have um maybe mind map mind mapped a little more thoroughly i also bet the ground was just like littered with used tampons (gasps) Right? Oh my like, god! If menstruating women got raptured, happen. no, it would you not know? occur to them, but they should be there. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like that's the sort of weird detail that an Old Testament writer would have occurred to them because they are obsessed with women's like periods and women being unclean. So, like, <laughs> TBH, I'm kind of surprised that it's not contemplated somewhere. <laughs> Maybe they'll find it in the next book. Yeah, but we'll never know. Yeah, now I'm thinking about, like, so if you had, like, a heart transplant and you were raptured, but the person who <gasps> gave you their heart wasn't raptured. Oh, you had raptured. a sinner's heart. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, what, and then the opposite, where, like, if you had a heart transplant and the person was raptured and they get all their organs back, I guess, after the rapture, do you suddenly not have a heart and you drop dead? I think so. I think the implication is really, like, God really wants to fuck things up for as much as possible for people who have been left behind he's like oh these like teenagers like being orphans or like people having violence upon them like not my problem there's a lot more violence guys there's so much violence in the future books and in revelation and like i wonder it, it gives me the same feeling as like the purge gives me where Mm -hmm. I feel like if like they were like it's a purge everyone would kind of be like uh you know whatever I mean not everyone but many people would be like and like if there's the rapture I I feel like enough people enough chill people are left behind that it's not going to suddenly turn into the hunger games or whatever like right I I don't that is that is one thing, and I feel like in the, as I keep calling it the big boy book, and I won't stop, sorry. No, um, I would never they, ask you to stop. <laughs> um, like, stuff kind of does keep happening, because, like, in a way that, like, yeah, all this terrible stuff happens, but, like, geopolitics keep happening. Specifically, the Antichrist, like, starts coming and, like, like murders people at the UN. It's It's a thing. There's a lot of, like, detective murdering in the, like... The, act, the big boy book um but like stuff actually surprisingly does go on like buck williams has like i don't know stuff to report on in the new world order about like i don't know global currency there's like a lot more stuff about like the mark of the beast and like all the, the that kind of prophecy stuff that like is kind of maybe comes later on in all 40 of these children's books but um 
I wonder the how they deal. how they keep the children's books aligned to the adult books if the adult book if the adult books steer so heavily into like antichrist and violence. Um, there's like a whole thing about how like there's a global currency called marks in the the big boy book, but then they have just normal dollars in this book. So I feel like they do dumb it down. Well, because children are stupid. Yeah, as... yeah, we have learned so, that. Yeah. I'm All done. Right. Well, we've we've already given some suggestions, but let's move on to readers' advisory and suggest some stuff to read or watch instead of or in addition to reading Left Behind the Kids. Um, so I'm happy to go first. I if you're looking for uh, religious enlightenment, masquerading as a children's book, like just reread the Chronicles of Narnia. I know that's not very exciting, but it's kind of the same vibe. Um, I'm offended, like, honestly. Better. <laughs> <laughs> same i don't know i feel like c.s lewis's goals were similar um he just knew how to write and yeah, actually he just knew I how to write and that's a that's a big difference <laughs> <laughs> i am recommending this instead of left behind the kids which by the way is not like left behind the kids is not just left behind colon the kids it's left behind carrot the kids close carrot <laughs> um if you are interested in kind of understanding the the culture of America at the time and the, and the, the how the cult that religion that the religious moment was created that kind of led to the left behind books, I am a huge fan of the um, podcast cults, the uh, podcasts cults, um, and they did a five part series on the Satanic Panic and how that led to the rise of modern evangelicalism in the U.S. Um, and I think that was. I think it's kind of a good background for like where the left behind books kind of emerged from. Um, and then I also, if you, I have not yet watched the uh, 2014 Nicolas Cage version of left behind big boys, but <laughs> it sounds incredible. I read a review of it and everything that everyone who's watched it <laughs> has said so far makes it sound great. I recommend it as a double feature with Con Air and maybe yes. a glass of champagne. Yes. I, I love Conair and Conair's <laughs> better than Left Behind, it, but the Nick Cage movie, like, I haven't seen the Kurt Cameron one, but I enjoyed the Nick Cage movie on on a bad movie kind of level. Like, if you're someone who enjoys watching, like, The Room or whatever, like, you can have some fun with Left Behind the movie for sure. Uh, I'm going to just have a couple real quick Um Similarly, the podcast American Hysteria, which I know I do talk about a lot, uh, at least in the newsletter, I'm actually not sure if I've ever mentioned it on the show, um, has some great stuff about uh, evangelicalism in America and religion in general and Christianity in general in America um, that are great that we will link to. Um, and also there's a comic called The Woods uh, by James Tingian IV and Michael uh, Dialinus, something like that, uh, which is very good as well. Um, and it has a similar sort of like a whole bunch of people disappear. It's less religious and more aliens, but, you know, it's good. And lots of queer people, which obviously <laughs> you would think there would be more queer, queer people who were left behind in these left behind books. <laughs> apparently not. I would say my take on this is um, if you're not looking for something religious, but if you are into the idea of sort of like unaccompanied kids having survival type adventures, um, like a 
like a hatchet or um, Arusha and the End of Time by Roshani Chakshi is a more recent and good and also magical. Um, I guess actually more like Hindu mythology is less magic and more a different religious belief. Anyway, that book's really good. I'll list some other books on the website worstbestsellers.com that are along that vibe where it's not about the end of days, but it is about like what might kids get up to if there weren't as many adults around for a while. Um, I have a recommendation if you've if you're enjoying listening to other people read tedious religious books that you don't actually want to read, I recommend the podcast owner Ross and Carrie where they join various spiritual movements they i don't know try out different like fringy medical stuff um but uh they do read a lot of books by various religious and spiritual leaders right now they're doing a series on uh an evangelical exorcist and they're reading a lot of his books and giving you a nice little breakdown of it um so i i definitely recommend that if you want to um not read terrible books (laughs) (sighs) All right. Well, we'll have these and some other ones up on our website, which is worstbestsellers.com. And now we'll move on to play a round of The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Ashley and Grace will choose which most enhances the book, or they can choose paper, which is to leave it as is. I will not be choosing paper. I'm just going to spoil that right now. <laughs> All right, so if The Rock was in this book, he would obviously be on a flight where the pilot got raptured, and uh, he would have to land the plane himself, and then help the surviving passengers navigate, like, treacherous, terrible conditions to make their way back to civilization. So it would basically just be like a rock movie with, like, a religious footnote. Um, If Wolverine were in this book, he would, uh, you know, see the kind of devastation and hear about it on the radio or whatever and he would conclude that the reasonable thing to do would be to fly the blackbird jet to heaven and challenge god to a fist fight (laughs) oh these are both good options do ashley and i have to come to a consensus or do we each get to pick a winner you can each choose you can each follow your hearts okay i'm gonna go with the rock i um i think that'd be a fun a, a fun i was gonna say movie but yeah book yeah, yeah I, I, I am very much drawn to The Rock's story and arc, but also I feel like that would just then lead to 40 more Left Behind books. <laughs> if Wolverine challenges God to a fist fight and obviously wins because he's Wolverine, that might end the series earlier. So I think um, I'm going to choose Wolverine in this instance. <laughs> all right. Well, truly, we all win except for God. <laughs> and paper. <laughs> and paper. Yeah. Um, all right, now it is time for Duarte's Corner, where my uh, handsome cat Duarte... By the way, this book did not address the question of whether or not all dogs go to heaven. Mm. Or any there, dogs. Um, so just a, a very brief side note. Uh, there's an old Daily Show thing, um, segment from like way, 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 way back, uh, where you can sign up to have someone take care of your pet during the rapture, because pets will not be going to heaven. <laughs> I got very angry in chapel as a child when a priest asserted that animals don't have souls and won't go to heaven, and my mother assured me that they do, and this was a big theological issue growing up. Anyway, go on. (laughs) 
All right. Well, I was just having that realization as I introduced Dorote's segment. Um, maybe it's explained in the eight missing books. Mm. Maybe. Maybe they're just like the pet adventures. Anyway, um, Duarte, what did you have to say about Left Behind, colon, the kids? Okay, so, okay, so I should have just let you finish, because you were also going to bring up this important point that the animals aren't addressed, but... I mean, I think it's a good point that if you go to heaven and there's no cats in it, is it is it even heaven? Mm. Mm. Oh, this is a theological issue. I don't feel prepared to, to that. I don't think we have enough time to dive into, honestly. This could be no. getting into some good place shit, to be honest. Yeah, this is true. This is, this is a lot. It's heavy. Uh, thank you for bringing it up. It's just yet another plot hole in this book. Yeah. Um, by the way, I'll add the good place to our list of recommendations. <laughs> Thanks, Dorothy. Yes. Yeah. Duarte sat on my lap through many episodes of The Good Place, so that probably is in his mind as well. <laughs> anyway, Duarte, thank you for that. Do any humans have any closing thoughts? Um, you know, as as I was reading this and thinking about it, um, I was thinking like, oh, maybe we should have read two, or maybe we should have started with the next one. This one feels like vaguely anticlimactic, but... Clearly, we had a lot to say about it, so <laughs> I think we were okay in the end. Yeah, I mean, Mike. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, how dare you think about having us read two of these? <laughs> <laughs> like they were short, and that's all they had going for them. Do not add more pages to this. I know that was really our main goal in choosing this particular book, and I think it succeeded. Um, my real closing thought, I guess, is I just have a newfound interest in always dressing myself carefully now because just in case there is a sudden rapture vanishing event, like, I kind of want to make sure that whoever finds my underwear, like, it's the nice underwear. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a good consideration. I'm, I'm not worried about being raptured, so um, <laughs> <laughs> at this point. All right. Well... Listeners, if you have thoughts about, I don't know, what outfits you want to wear to heaven, um, or what you Y'all your... did that book. Y'all did the Christmas shoes already, so... That's true. Mm, see, and that counteracts, because it seems like she couldn't wear those shoes to get to heaven, actually. Theology. <laughs> this is very troubling. Um, anyway, if you want to talk to us about those or other concerns, we are... On all the social medias, we're on Facebook and Instagram, Worst Bestsellers, spelled normally. We're on Twitter, at Worst Bestseller with no S, because the S did get raptured and left behind the rest of the word. Just, just very lonely here on Earth. <laughs> um, we have a Goodreads group that's best accessed by going to our website, which is WorstBestsellers.com. You can find us on all of the podcast places. You do know where they are. For example, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and the rest. Uh, and if you I think, do by the listen- way, sorry, I think we need to update this list because I don't even think Google Play exists anymore. I think Google Play also got raptured. But, <laughs> but I know Amazon maybe does you podcasts did now, too. Yeah. Um, but if you do subscribe to us on any platform of your choosing, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. Uh, if you don't rate and review, obviously you are not going to get raptured and you will be left behind. 
Uh, you can also find us on Patreon at, at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like update our equipment and pay our editor. Uh, and in return, there are perks for you, like a monthly newsletter and uh, postcards and stickers and all sorts of things. Uh, additionally... Uh, you can also go to worstbestsellers.com and click on merch in order to find all sorts of designs related to this podcast that you can wear on your body. And finally, we do have a Discord server that is best accessed by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on Discord, where you can join all sorts of listeners in conversations both about the show and bad books and about literally anything else. All the a, time, a lot of Stardew Valley talk lately. Um, yes. By the way, I do, I, upon further reflection, I do think the most stylish outfit you could leave behind if you are ruptured <laughs> would, of course, be a Worst Bestsellers t-shirt. So you should get that and wear it just, um, just so you can leave it behind when your body is ruptured, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Actually, we should make a new merch and it's a shirt that says, if you find this shirt on the ground, it's because I've been ruptured. <laughs> Please do that. Please do that. And then Take on the and then on the back it says, "Please feed my cat." <laughs> Please feed my cat who is not welcome in heaven. <laughs> if you don't like this, you are just leaving money on the table. Honestly. <laughs> Grace, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I am Grace Topia. Uh, most places. I'm most active on Twitter. I, I'm also on Instagram. Um, and then I'm uh, have a website at Grace Topia. Or it's Grace Topia.net. I mostly talk about Nexium <laughs> on my blog. So just know what you're getting into. <laughs> yeah, and well, and if you're into cults, you should check out Grace's writings on Nexium. And if you're not into cults, I don't know. Good for you. We can't relate. <laughs> If you're into cults, like, please come talk to me on Twitter because I need more cult-related people in my life. I'm not, like, cult-related people in my life. People who care about cults really just mostly more than my partner does. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he would like me to find some cult friends, some more cult friends than I currently have. <laughs> he has, you have three great cult friends that, yes. you know, he... <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he in the before times had to listen to all the time. <laughs> Three sister wives. <laughs> That's norm- normal hobbies. We have normal hobbies. Yeah, yeah we're doing amazing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, if you want to find me and Dorothy, um, I'm Renata Snacks on Twitter. Uh, and if you want to find me, I am 14 across uh, on Twitter and Instagram and all sorts of other places, uh, largely because I take frequent Twitter breaks these days. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I am part of the tribulation force and I'm in hiding. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's not true. I, I have social media that that's if you find me cool, but like I'm not going to hype it, whatever. Yeah, not not accepting new friends at this time. That's fine. Fine. I have my sister wives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who could ask for anything more? Um we could cuz we just did, but <laughs> it's, it's fine. Um Grace and Ashley, thank you so much for joining us and for doing frankly more research into this than I did. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and we should be clear, more research than we literally ever do for this podcast. <laughs> 
We brought our cult club energy to it. What can we say? <laughs> I was reading academic articles about Left Behind who, from people who didn't think Left Behind was Christian enough. So, like, I went deep, guys. Oh, Boise. <laughs> All right. Well, we just read this one. Um, and in two weeks, we're going to read something else, which is The Duke and I by Julia Quinn, a.k.a. the first Bridgerton book. So if you're horny, get ready for that episode. <laughs> if you're not horny, you have two weeks to prepare yourself. <laughs> or I guess you don't have to be horny to listen to it. I don't know. Do what, do what you want. <laughs> Uh, I let's wrap this up. (laughs) On that, on that tasteful note, bye.